Let's take our Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus uh, chapter uh, 7. We have uh, continued our way through the book of Exodus, and now we come uh, to the portion where we read about the first plague. And uh, we know that this will be the start of uh, uh, ten subsequent plagues. Now, they're not going to be one right after the other. Uh, But uh, by the time the ten plagues are done, uh, God will be glorified and the Egyptians are going to be exhausted. They're going to be at the end of themselves to where the Pharaoh is going to literally probably push the children of Israel out. Uh, Even the Egyptians are going to be so thrilled to see them go that they're going to give them gold and silver and all kinds of riches, and they're going to leave rich. And so it's amazing to see uh, the work that God's going to do. It's going to begin right here, and up to this point, Moses has, um, um, although uh, kicking and screaming along the way, not really uh, doing things necessarily in the right spirit or uh, perfect, but neither are we perfect. Uh, What we learn about Moses is what we learn about ourselves. And uh, now God is going to manifest His power in Egypt. Now just for sake of reference, most historians agree that Egypt during the time of Moses, probably because of the influence of Joseph, was at the zenith of its power in world history. At that time, Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world. By the time the ten plagues are done and part of the army of Egypt will be defeated, Egypt will never recover. Still to this day has never recovered from the ten plagues. And so the glory of Egypt will will dissipate into dust, uh, and God, that it will be God's doing. And so let's look at the beginning of that. Exodus chapter 7, let's begin reading in verse 14. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, he refuseth to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning, lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink, against he come, and the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand. And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness, and behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear." Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood." And the fish that was in the river died, 
and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, neither did he set his heart to do this also. And all the Egyptians digged round about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. And seven days were fulfilled after that the Lord had smitten the river. Uh, this is the first plague. Uh, the title of the message this evening is simply this, The Waters Were Turned to Blood. Now what we find here unfolding in this Exodus record is the beginning of the ten plagues. And by the way, this event or this time period from Exodus chapter 7 through Exodus chapter 12 is going to be relived re-summarized, re-mentioned throughout the remainder of the biblical record. Uh, and so certainly this is an important event, uh, not only in the life of the children of Israel, but it is an important event in light of the entire revelation of the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, if you turn with me, hold your place there in Exodus chapter 12, turn with me to Psalm 78. In Psalm 78, we, we have a, a summary of what happened here in, in the book of Exodus. And really, from Exodus 7 through Exodus 12 are the plagues. And um, notice it is summarized in Psalm 78. Uh, notice with me, if we go down, we could read the whole chapter, but that's uh, quite a long one. But let, notice with me verse 49. So Psalm 78, verse 49. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way to his anger. He spared not their soul from death, but gave their life over to the pestilence and smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strength in the tabernacles of Ham. Uh, we have another summary in Psalm 105. If you turn over uh, Psalm 105 and verse 27. Verse 27, I think down to verse 36. The Bible says, They showed His signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made, it, and, and made it dark, and they rebelled not against His word. He turned their waters into blood and slew their fish. Their land brought forth frogs in abundance in the chambers of their kings. He spake, and there came diverse sorts of flies and lice in all their coasts. He gave them hell for rain and flaming fire in their land. He smote their vines also and their fig trees and brake the trees of, of their coast. He spake and the locusts came and caterpillars and that without number and did eat up all the herbs in the land and devour the fruit of their ground. He smote also all the firstborn in their land, the chief of all their strength. So this again is going to be Summarized throughout the biblical record, this is going to be relived. Now before we enter and deal with the individual plagues, I do want to set the stage and ask why the plagues? Uh, why ten plagues? Now why just God not uh, 
you know, just stamp all the Egyptians out and, and just let the children of Israel go. And throughout the Bible, as we think about not only in the book of Exodus, but throughout the remainder of the biblical record, we have the reasons why the plagues were done. And so let me set forth the stage before we deal with the first plague tonight and then the subsequent plague, uh, plagues throughout the remainder uh, of the next few chapters uh, to make some statements about why God sent plagues among the Egyptians. I think first of all, the first reason why uh, God judged Egypt with plagues is first of all to manifest His mighty power in a public fashion. Uh, if you turn with me, if you have your place there in Exodus chapter 7, later turn with me in Exodus chapter 9. In Exodus chapter 9 and verse 16, the Bible says here, notice Exodus 9, 16, In very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. So God gave the reason to Moses why he raised Moses up. Now this is a good reminder for us that any time that God speaks to us and raises us up to do his purpose, it is not for us and for our glory, it is for his glory and his purpose. And so God says, I'm going to show my mighty power. And the reason why Moses, I've raised you up is so that I might display my mighty power in a public fashion. And as a matter of fact, this is exactly what was concluded. If you turn notice in Exodus 8, you remember in verse 16, um, Exodus 8, 6, uh, or Exodus 8, 19, after the third plague, the lice. This is what the magicians say in verse 19. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. So um, God told Moses, I've raised you up so that I might show my power. And evidently the people who were there, even you could say the most powerful people, the magicians in Egypt, had to recognize and come to the conclusion after trying to duplicate those plagues that this was indeed the finger of God. Now it is interesting that they, uh, they didn't say the arm of God, the strength of God, they said the finger of God. Now uh, I uh, tried to challenge, remember when I was a child growing up my dad would challenge us and, and he would say, see if you can take me down boys. And so when we were younger, we couldn't take him down. But as we got older, he says, all right. But I remember often he would, uh, he would wrestle us with his finger. Like he would grab his finger and then he would swing us around. Like with one finger. And then obviously it had to be the hand and the arm. And, but if you think about the finger, that's the weakest part. And the magicians, when they think about the power of God, they say, that's the finger of God. In other words, it's not even the greatest manifestation of God's power. It's just his finger. How great then when he manifests his power with his strong arm. And so we see here that God manifested his mighty power in a public fashion. That is why the plagues happened in Egypt. Secondly, as we think about um, the biblical record, we see that the second purpose for those plagues was to display the wrath of God against Pharaoh and also against his cruel treatment of Israel. 
Uh, if you turn with me to chapter 10, Exodus chapter 10, verse 16, we find that a little later on. Exodus 10, verse 16, notice, the Bible says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste, and he, now that was after plague 8. So we're nearing the end, and he called for Aaron, uh, Moses in haste, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. So here is Pharaoh. There is an awareness as to why the plagues are happening. The plagues are happening because Pharaoh recognizes that he has sinned against God and he has sinned against the children of Israel. And so the reason for the plague is that God is displaying his wrath upon Pharaoh for his sin and his disobedience, but also for his cruel treatment of the people of Israel. Purpose number three. So uh, we looked at the first two. First of all, to manifest the mighty power of God in a public fashion. To display the wrath of God against Pharaoh and his cruel treatment of Israel. Thirdly, the plagues are there to exercise judgment upon the gods of the Egyptians. And to demonstrate that God was greater than all the gods of the Egyptians. Now, you've heard that before where someone, I probably have mentioned this in the series, that each plague was directed as one of the Egyptian gods. And that statement that I said earlier, certainly I've heard that before, but actually that's what the Bible says. If you turn with me a little later, uh, Exodus 18. Exodus 18. So the plagues are done here. The children of Israel have been delivered from Egyptian bondage. This is a little later on. Uh, we already had the quail and the manna. Exodus 18 revisits back the Egyptian plagues. And notice uh, what uh, the Bible says. Verse 10. And Jethro said, Exodus 18.10, And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. For in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. Well, what are you talking about? They're gods. Uh, you remember when they went, when they showed up, uh, Aaron's rod turned into, well, it was Moses' rod. Aaron was using it. He uh, 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 dropped it down to the ground. It became a serpent. The magicians did the same thing. When the water was turned to blood, the magicians duplicated that as well. And, and so the magicians were in some measure able to duplicate some of the plagues or some of those uh, miracles. Uh, but in the end, what we know about the plagues is that God showed Himself greater than the Egyptian gods. Now, we're going to see that in just a moment, that the last plague, plague number 10, the death of the firstborn, the Pharaoh himself was considered God in the land of Egypt. He was God to the Egyptians. He was worshipped as a God among the Egyptians. And so looking back, Jethro said, Now we, we know and I see after all that's happened, that the God of heaven is greater than all of the gods of the Egyptians. He has defeated him, uh, defeated them all. Uh, if you turn with me to Numbers, let's go to Numbers. This is a little later on. Uh, Numbers chapter 33. Numbers 33. Uh, notice with me verse 4. So Numbers 33 verse 4. The Bible says here, For the Egyptians buried all their firstborn which the Lord had smitten among them, 
Upon their gods also the Lord executed judgments. You see that? Upon their... Now, he mentions the firstborn specifically. They were all buried. But then he said, upon their gods, God executed judgment. So, look, yes, God wanted to make His power known in a public fashion. God wanted to pour down His wrath upon the sin of Pharaoh and His cruelty to the children of Israel. But also, God exercised the ten plagues upon the gods of the Egyptians to demonstrate that God was greater than all of their gods. And we're going to see that in the first plague with the water being turned to blood. I have two more though before we get there. Reason number four is... This, the plagues, would stand as a warning to all other nations. Now, uh, the reason why I say that, if you uh, think uh, later when Joshua enters to the land, turn with me to the book of Joshua and chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. This is interesting. Uh, So this event, the ten plagues and the deliverance, the redemption of the children of Israel out, out of Egyptian bondage is really some phenomenal thing. And this is going to be remembered not just by the children of Israel, but by the other nations. Uh, Joshua chapter 2. Notice uh, with me, let's go down to verse 8. Now, remember the, uh, the spies went in the house of Rahab. She hid them, so on. Notice verse 8. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof, and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. So we find here, uh, notice uh, verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. And when ye came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And so the point is, the work that God is doing, the miracles that God is doing on the behalf of Israel would stand as a warning to all the other nations. Now, by the way, Rahab is significant because she would join the Israelites and then she is mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 in the lineage of Christ. That's, that's awesome. Why? Because of what God did. She heard about it. And so to her it was a warning. She didn't want to be condemned with the city of heathens. There's one more reason. Or let me, I want to go to one more passage. Sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. See, that, that's my problem. Often I get excited. I want to get to the end of the message before I go through the whole message. So, Notice 1 Samuel 4, uh, notice verse 8. Now the Philistines, remember, they um, had taken the Ark of the Covenant, so we remember the scene, but, and here is what they're saying. So just one verse here, but notice 1 Samuel 4, 8. Woe unto us who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods. These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Now, they're referring to gods, but they're really referring to Jehovah God. Okay, Because the way they live is many gods. And so they're assuming that the Israelites also have many gods. They're probably thinking to themselves, every plague represents one god. But no, it was one god. And yet, they think they're they're still, by the time we're talking about uh, the Philistines and the ark and... 
uh, obviously during the time of Saul becoming the first kings and all the conflict that was going on up to that time, they're still talking about what God did in the land of Egypt. And so people are still warned of the power and the wrath of God. But there's one more reason why we have those ten plagues, and that is this. Number five is to test the children of Israel. Uh, Turn with me, uh, so two passages. The first one, Exodus chapter 15. So Exodus 15. Notice verse 11. The Bible says here, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? So the children of Israel have to exclaim here, after this, who is like God? Who can do what God has done? Uh, If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, turn with me, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Notice with me, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Notice with me verse 32. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before thee, since the day that God created man upon the earth, and ask from the one side of heaven unto the other, whether there hath been any such thing as this great thing, or is, or hath been heard like it. Did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as thou hast heard and live? Or hath God essayed to go and to take him a nation from the midst of another nation by temptations, by signs, and by wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand, and by a stretched out arm, and by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did before you in Egypt, before your eyes? And so the reason for the plague is, uh, yes, certainly to for God to display and to manifest His power in a public fashion for God to display His wrath against the sin of Pharaoh and His cruel treatment of the nation of Israel to exercise judgment on all the gods of the Egyptians and to stand as a warning to all the other nations but also to test the children of Israel. You see upon many of those things many uh, while we have the feast of the Passover would be instituted as remembrance of the deliverance from Egyptian bondage. And what is that remembrance? It's remembering what God did for them. And so the plagues serve also as a test to the children of Israel. If you go back with me to Exodus chapter 7. So we begin in the plagues here. And what I like to do is take all of those plagues individually and to try to think a little deeper about just those plagues. We might memorize those plagues. Right? Plague one, blood. Plague two, lice. Plague four, flies. Plague five, the death of the livestock. Plague six, boils. Plague seven, hail. Plague eight, locusts. Plague nine, darkness. Plague ten, the death of the firstborn. But as we think about each one of those plagues, I think that the, uh, the consequences really have to be thought about and the attack and the type of judgments it is should really be thought about so that we can have a greater appreciation not only of who God is, 
but what he does to show himself strong and mighty. In other words, those judgments are actually specific judgments. They're not random. In other words, what I'm saying is that there could be many different ways that are not mentioned here in the Exodus record to think about how do you judge a nation. But why did God chose those specific ways? Uh, and not other ways. Uh, well, I think we, we find uh, the, the lessons as we think about those individual plagues. Now, as we look at our passage, we're going to look at, first of all, the plague. We're going to look at the time of the plague when it was, I guess, enforced. And we're going to look at the side before who it was done. And lastly, we're going to look at the result. What would this plague produce uh, on the other side after the plague was done? So let's first of all deal with the plague. Now, as we think about this plague, it is uh, God comes to Moses and Aaron and he tells them, you're going to uh, go to Pharaoh, verse 15, in the morning, he goeth out to the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink against he come, and the rod which hast turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand, and thou shalt say unto him, the Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness, and behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Thus saith the Lord, in this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. Now, I think it's important here for us to think about, this is not just water coloring. The transformation of the water would not be the water becoming red, it would be the water becoming literal blood. Now think about just for that for just a moment. We know, we'll see at the end, the consequences of this would be devastating because the fish in the, in the river would die. The river would stink. Of course, there's blood everywhere. And the river would become absolutely loathed or disgusting to the Egyptians. And there, there, there's a reason why God did this. Now, the Egyptians, if you look at history, particularly during this time, and even probably even during the time of Joseph, the Egyptians were just about the most polytheistic people known in the ancient world. Probably the most comparable to them would be the Greeks, right? Greek mythology and the Greek gods. But the Egyptians had many gods. Even to this day, we are not completely sure as to the total number of gods that they worshipped. Exodus in Exodus 12 and verse 12, the Bible says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And so God would declare later in the last plague, I'm going to execute my judgment against all the gods of Egypt. Uh, we just read a moment ago in Numbers 33 verse 4 that God's judgment is demonstrated against the gods. And that is why the Judgment is going to be executed. Uh, in Exodus 18, 11, the Bible says, Now I know, that's Jethro speaking to Moses, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Uh, even later, Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 19, 1 says, The burden of Egypt, behold, the Lord rideth upon a swift cloud and shall come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence, and the heart of Egypt 
uh, shall melt in the midst of it. Now it's talking about a future event, but liking in it uh, to that which happened in the past. Now unlike other rulers in the ancient Near East, the Egyptian Pharaoh did not merely rule for the gods. He was in a literal sense himself, Pharaoh himself was one of the gods. His birth was actually uh, thought about or perceived as a divine act. Uh, he was counted specifically as the child of certain deities, and thus the Pharaoh possessed the properties of deities. As far as his physical existence was concerned, Pharaoh had been begotten by Amun-Ra, who was an Egyptian, uh, an Egyptian god, upon the queen mother. And so in light of this observation, it is not difficult to see why Pharaoh reacted the way he did with his initial conversation with Aaron and Moses. Can you imagine you live in this polytheistic society where people worship you as God and then two sheep keepers come in and says, you need to obey the voice of the Lord. And he's like, wait a minute, who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? Understand, Pharaoh himself is seen as a God. He is worshipped as a God. The people bow before Him. The people write songs about Him, just like we sing about Jehovah God. They did the same about the king of Pharaoh. The king Pharaoh. And so the plagues served to demonstrate, think about when those plagues happen, by the end of it all, the plagues served to demonstrate the impotence of Pharaoh, both as a ruler and as a god. You see, by the, by the time this is all said and done, the Egyptians are going to look at their Pharaoh in a different light. They're, they're not going to see him as this mighty God as they have previously. They're not going to think about the birth of his son who's going to die as the firstborn of Pharaoh who was supposed to be the next God. They're not going to look at that divine act as being a divine act from God anymore. And so it's going to be devastating. In Exodus uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 7, the Bible says, And Pharaoh's servant said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? The, servant, the very servants of Pharaoh are going to come begging at Pharaoh. says, Don't you see the land has been made waste? Everything is destroyed. We have nothing left. Just let them go. Showing that their God, their chief God, is completely impotent, helpless, and powerless in the sight of the Almighty. Even later in Exodus 12, 20-33, And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of their land in haste. And they said, We be all dead men. We come here to the first plague. The plague is going to be an attack or a judgment upon one of the most popular Egyptian gods. And that god is the Nile River. Now, when I mentioned the Nile River as being a god, the Egyptians, it's not that they had one god that was the Nile River god. 
but that the Nile would actually be a combination of many gods to the Egyptians. Let me explain to you. For example, the Nile for, to the Egyptian was the source of transportation and commerce. Uh, from the northern part of Egypt to the southern part of Egypt, it was the, the quickest way to deal in commerce from the northern part of Egypt to the southern part. And so it was a commerce route. The Nile was also the source of water and fertile so soil deposit for the agricultural aspect of the Egyptian land. If you think about a, the map of Egypt, the Nile River would overflow annually. Every year the Nile would overflow its banks. Were it not for this inundation, Egypt would have become... A, as desolate as the deserts on each side. If you would look at a map during that time, you would find a green Egypt and a desert to the east and a desert to the west and a desert, I guess, to the southwest. In other words, it was all surrounded by desert. And so the only reason why Egypt is green is because of the Nile. It overflowed every year. The sediments from the river would come in and would nourish the ground. The water obviously would nourish the ground. And so not only were a number of gods associated with the Nile, but even fertility, blessing, and happiness were also associated with the faithfulness of the river. They even wrote a hymn about the Nile that they sung. You want me to give it to you? Well, you have no choice. You're here, so I'll make the decision. I'll read it to you. This is a hymn they wrote about the Nile. Hail to thee, O Nile, that issues from the earth... And comes to keep Egypt alive. He that waters the meadows which recreated in order to keep every kid alive. He that makes to drink the desert and the place distant from water. That is his due coming down from heaven. That's their perspective on the Nile. It keeps us alive. They knew, they knew that if the Nile dried up, they could not live in the land and be prosperous as they were. Not only was the economic fortune of Egypt dependent upon the river, but the psychological welfare of the people largely depended on the faithfulness of the Nile River. The Nile dominated the agriculture of Egypt. This affected the form, uh, the form of her calendar, which was divided into three seasons, each uh, with four 30-day months with five intercarlate days at the end of the year. Many of the Egyptians' God were associated with, their, uh, with either directly or indirectly with the river and its productivity. Let me list you a few of the gods that were associated with Egypt. First of all, you had, and I hope I'll say those correctly, but Kunman uh, was considered the guardian of the Nile. So, so think about it. The moment that Aaron stretched forth his rod upon the water and became blood, well, their God failed. He's the guardian of the Nile. He didn't protect the Nile. The, 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 now think about it just a moment. The entire waters of the Nile became blood. Where's Kum? Uh, Hapi, often represented by a crocodile picture or statue, was believed to be the spirit of the Nile in its dynamic essence. And often he was represented as a crocodile. So think about it for just a moment. The crocodile, which represented happy, H-A-P-I, 
was the Egyptian god. Maybe there's another way to say it. So think about it. Can you imagine when all the waters became blood, all the crocodiles, was, they're not going to dwell in the, in the river. So the spirit of the Nile escapes from the Nile. The guardian god has failed. Osiris was regarded as one of Egypt's greatest gods was the god of the underworld. The Egyptians believed that the river was his bloodstream. Osiris, you probably recognize the name. That's a famous Egyptian god. The Nile River was thought to be the bloodstream of Osiris. Well, what happened? Isn't it interesting that God would turn the river to blood, knowing the Egyptians think that that is his bloodstream? There's another one. We're not done yet. There's Neith. He was the, uh, this was the warlike goddess who furnished the largest fish that was found in the Nile. The Bible tells us all the fish died. And then you had Hathor. He was the protector of the Chromis, which was one of the smaller fishes of the Nile that the Egyptians uh, fished a lot. And so you think about all those gods are affected by just one act of God turning the water to blood. And so we find here that God, when His first plague falls, it is not just a plague. All of those Egyptians got together. And by the way, there are more. That's the ones that were easier to find. There are many more. All of the Egyptians got fall at that moment. You see, because the response of the Egyptians would be this. The natural inclination of the Egyptians every year when the Nile would overflow, they would thank their gods. Thank you, Osiris. Thank you, Hathor. Thank you, Happy. Th th thank you, all those gods, for your bountiful blessing upon us. And now the Egyptians have to say to themselves, Osiris, where are you? Hathor, where are you? Happy, where are you? Where is your blessing? Where is your prosperity? Why could you not stop? What is happening? So we see the plague, but then we see the time. What is interesting here is the time that this plague would be displayed. In verse 15, notice Exodus seven fifteen. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Now we think about here the morning, we might think, well, why the, why the morning? Well, uh, we need to get things done early. I really don't think that it's that simple. Go down to verse 20 of the same chapter. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded. And he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. I believe that God told him to go in the morning because that is when Pharaoh would be at the river. When the plague happened... Pharaoh would see the plague happen before his very eyes in the morning. Now, I believe here that this practice of Pharaoh being at the river in the morning seems to be habitual for Pharaoh. It seems probable that Pharaoh was either performing some ritual or perhaps even worshiping the gods of the Nile. Now, there were many temples that were located along the Nile River in that time. Most of those temples were erected in honor of the Nile River or erected as a symbol or to honor one of the gods of uh, the Nile River. I, I say that because when you go turn with me to chapter 8, in chapter, Exodus chapter 8, notice verse 20. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And so here God, it seems here, God has this knowledge, and he tells Moses, Pharaoh, he keeps going in the morning by the Nile River. That's what he does habitually. So I want you to meet him there. There's not, we know the Pharaoh is not going to the river to work. Why else would he be going to the river? But to worship or to perform some type of ritual every morning. This was typical for Jewish, uh, for, uh, for uh, Egyptian practice at that time. It's even uh, uh, the, the typical of most religions to have something first thing in the morning. Some type of ceremony, some type of offering, some type of worship session. That is true for much of paganism uh, where there is this offering. And so Pharaoh here, as we find throughout this biblical record, goes to this habitually. He performs some type of ritual, uh, some type of worship ceremony. And so when this play comes in, in Exodus chapter 7, it's going to be done, understand, in the sight of Pharaoh when he is worshiping one of the gods or all the gods. Of the Nile River. So we see the plague, we see the time, but also we we see the sight. I just read here in Exodus chapter 7, verse 20, that they smote the water in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. Now, we know what happens after this is the, the magicians, they, they duplicate. Now, this is just me thinking. If I was Pharaoh and I was confident in my gods, and maybe the Egyptians were confident in their gods, you know what I would have done? Now, I'm just putting myself in the shoe of the Egyptians. I would want to reverse the process. Wouldn't that be what you want to do? The entire Nile River has become blood. And so Pharaoh, when you get the Egyptians, hey, Egyptians, come here. What I'm thinking as the king, I don't want more blood. I want less blood. But that's not even part of the debate. What happened was so monumental that they dared not try to erase it. They dared not try to oppose it. The best they could do is to try to duplicate it in a small fashion. They probably had a little cup and they, they showed Pharaoh and said, Oh, look, uh, you know, whether it was real or not, you know, change the color or make it a little bit. Whatever trick they used or sorcery they used, it was in much smaller scale, just like the serpent idea, uh, than what God did. But the point is, that was done in the sight of Pharaoh and of his servants. You know what that would immediately instill? Now, I would imagine here this is not, you know, at the onset, uh, blood does not, yeah, it doesn't smell initially. But give it a little bit of time. You have the river completely turned to blood. Every pot of stone and wood, all the water in there was turned to blood. By the end of the chapter, the, the Egyptians were relegated to digging in the ground to find fresh water. That's how bad it was. Can you imagine after some time the stench of blood everywhere? Not only the stench of blood, 
but all the fish rising to the top, coming on shore, and their carcasses in the heat of the Egyptian sun, just uh, the stench that would come uh, from the brink of the river. Uh, the Bible says here that the Egyptians are so going to loathe uh, this, uh, this now river. And so understand here that God shows them and He basically says, Where are your gods? They're nowhere to be found. So we see the plague, the time, the sight, but we also see the result. The result is threefold. Notice verse 18 with me. And the fish that is in the river shall die... And the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. So God, now that's before it happens, that there's going to be three results. Notice verse 21, it happened after the river was turned to blood. Verse 20, verse 21, and the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank. Yeah, no kidding. I already don't like the smell of fish. Mix blood, fish, carcasses, death, the heat of the sun. And the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. There was so much blood that you just got sick of blood. I guess anybody who is faint-hearted anytime they see blood, it would have been a bad week for them. Pharaoh turns into his house, neither did he set his heart to do this also. And all the Egyptians, verse 24, digged around about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. And seven days were fulfilled after that the Lord had smitten the river. Up to this point, the Egyptians had been totally dependent on the Nile River. All the water they got was from the Nile River. At the end, we have a little introspection that now for the first time, the Egyptians are going to have to get water on their own. They're going to have to dig their own holes in the ground around the river. So The river is all blood. All the water they've got before is all blood. And so they're digging around along the river to find fresh water. You see, they've already all, always relied and praised and worshipped the gods of the Nile whose blessing has flowed upon them and now they have to do something on their own. You see, these are false gods. That means they are incapable gods. Inanimate gods. They're not real. What that would do is would change the perspective of the Egyptians. The fish died. All the fish died. The river would stink. And the river would be loathed by the Egyptians. So verse 18, And the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. The word loathe means to tire or to be disgusted. Well, no, I think everybody would, would, would be disgusted. There might be a few strangers out there and weirdos who like to drink blood, but most normal people don't like to do that. So the Egyptians now 
the hope of their gods, particularly related to the Nile, their hope in those gods is gone, has been eradicated. The things that they worship those gods for doing, they apparently could not do. You know, the world we live in is very similar to that. Because uh, people often, they, they think about their good life and uh, they think about their misfortune and they say, well, the gods are smiling on me. Or the gods are no longer smiling on me. They look at misfortune and say, well, uh, I, I guess that's just... And, and people, they, they, they often think about luck and chance, but often those things are used. The natural blessing that, by the way, by the way, comes from God... They ascribe it to something else or to someone else or to even just luck. The Nile River came from God. This is God's design. And by the way, the one who's going to turn back the river to its normal state is going to be God. Not the Egyptian magicians. God's going to do that. And so if you look at the progression, the river is turned to blood, stench, death, carcasses. The frogs then are going to come out of the river. We'll look at that. Then all the frogs are going to die. Everywhere you go, there's frogs everywhere. Then, not only that, but then there's, there's lice. And so on the human body, then all over your body, lice and then flies. The most annoying thing in the world. Flies. And then you have the death of the livestock. More death. More stench. Then the boils upon the human body. Then hell that comes and destroys everything. And then if there is anything green left, the locusts come and devour everything. And so, you have then the, the darkness. And so you see the progression. So understand, as we begin this plague, by the time this thing is done, there is nothing left. Egypt will become a wasted, barren land. That which they ascribe to all their gods is going to be done in ten plagues. And still, time after time, with all of this judgment and all this tension, all this, uh, uh, all this loathing everywhere, people are going to look back and, 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 and say finally, uh, get, get rid of them. Instead I'm thinking, instead of repenting before the Almighty God. Instead of getting things right with God. And so we see here that uh, yes, God came and He disturbed the life of Moses and raised him up to show himself strong. And then He would defeat the Egyptians or defeat the Pharaoh. And He would show them. But by, by the way, this, this is the same we find uh, today in America. You think about how long are you going to, uh, to go on and think about all the things that are happening in our, in our world. There's, they're talking today about... Um, I think the monkeypox they're talking about. And uh, the way you catch it, by the way, is by immorality. we got to get a vaccine for him out here. So you think about what is going on today, and many of those things, I think, can be considered 
I believe, the judgment of God. And so you think about around you, you think about different cities, you think, well, uh, the, uh, the streets aren't safe to walk on. Uh, you think about the water's not safe to drink. The food's not safe to eat. There's filth and disease everywhere. And so doesn't want somebody want to say here, as they said, the judgment of God is upon America, is upon American cities, where there's all those things that you find all around you, but yet the nation will not repent before God. And so God shows Himself strong and mighty. His judgment comes down. And yet, time and time again, men will not repent. You say, how long do we have to go for people not to see that their ungodliness and their sin and their rebellion against God and their worship of self and false gods that they will ignore the consequences of their life and their acts and not turn to God. I think there is going to be some people that are going to leave Egypt that are not Israelites. We know that later. So some people are going to by the time it's, said and it's all said and done, Egypt is not going to be what they've remembered it to be. Egypt is going to be so desolate by the end that people who are not even Israelites are going to leave with the Israelites. There's nothing left. There's nothing here for us. And so, we think, well, how are we to regard this in our day? Well, you know, we know that God is going to judge the world one day. The judgment of God is manifest in various ways. The judgment of God is either His hand is stayed or His hand is applied. Both can be the judgment of God. You see, when God stays His hand, uh, keeps men from, or uh, says, well, you want to you do your thing, Romans 1? You want to sin? You want to deny the Creator? I will give you over. I will stay my hand. I will let you make a mess of things on your own. And I will not intervene. So that you can see the total depravity of your lives and of your sinfulness and what is the result of that on your own. So there's the staying hand of God. But then there's the applying hand of God. And so the judgment of God is manifested in either way. Well, with a staying hand, God gives men over unto their wickedness to do more wickedness so that they see the result and the fruit of that wickedness. Or God then applies His hand. Now whether God chooses to stay His hand or to apply His hand, we believe God. We believe that God can do what He deems is best to be done. Now, what I say to us is that I know we, we think about the founding of our, I mentioned this morning the founding of our country and the 4th of July and all those things. And I'm grateful, grateful to be an American. I am grateful. 
Uh, I, I believe firmly, having really traveled the world in many countries, this is the greatest country in the world from its founding just because of the freedoms and the things we have that many other nations have never had had. If you travel a little bit, you'll find that out very quickly. And so no doubt this is, this is, this is, this is wonderful. But I am not so foolish to think that God's not going to judge America because of its founding. You see, you cannot have people in the highest office promoting the most vile and wicked practice and not have the judgment of God. So we can expect the judgment of God to be twofold. Either God stays His hand, lets man do what they want, wickedness abounds, and the consequences are devastating when man is left to himself. Or whether it's God's applying hand where God sends forth a plague or a judgment that completely destroys everything. But you see the wonderful thing about this? There's a group of people who get through them. Now, I would imagine as you, as you look at the text here, now there are some things that the children of Israel escaped. They were not... Uh, right, the death of the firstborn was one, and, and there so there are some things that they escape, but there are some other things that they couldn't escape. Obviously, the blood. The blood was. It's not like when the Israelites went to the Nile River and grabbed a cup of water. It's not like it was. It turned to, to water. So there are some things that the consequences both was upon God's people and the Egyptians. And there's no doubt about that. There's others that that weren't like that, but the point is, God's people got through them. see, we can get troubled. What I'm saying is that we can get troubled when God's judgment is a staying hand and we are affected by it. But let's not be troubled. Let's remember that we get through it with the Lord. Whether it is God's staying hand or God's applying hand, we will get through it as the people here got through it. So we don't have to fret we can proclaim the judgment of God and we should proclaim the gospel. We should be faithful in proclaiming about God and who He is and what He has done for mankind. But let's not be too overly alarmed by the things that happen thinking that that will be our destruction. Let's look at it rather as an opportunity to proclaim who God is. See, I think we might be distracted as we, if we think, if we go with the Israelites and instead of saying, look at what God's doing. If we say, oh, we're, we're all in this. It's the end. No, no, no. God is with us through the plague. And the evidence of that is an obedient people on the end of those plagues with the Passover. Those who were obedient with putting blood on the doorpost. When the death angel passed over, the angel... They were untouched. They were saved. And it brought about their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. So we, we have to be, to be careful. We think, uh, this is, by, by the time we end those plagues, we're going to talk about all those things. This is going to be devastating. And I'm certain that the children of Israel are going to be affected in some way. Not like the Egyptians, but they're going to be affected by it. And so 
Uh, let's see that they, they got through it. Amen? They got through it. Let's pray.